Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrej Matišák, and I work as the deputy head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda. The world's tennis number one, Novak Djokovic, was deported from Australia on January 16, and that means he is unable to defend his Australian Open title from the previous year. For now, he also lost the chance to become the record Grand Slam holder. The Serbian tennis player is unvaccinated, but he received a medical exemption to enter Australia. But in the end, his visa was revoked twice, and the federal court decided that he can be deported. What does it tell us about the immigration system in Australia? Were political calculation involved in Djokovic's case? This podcast was recorded on January 13, just before the final decision related to subsequent deportation. I talked to Emily Foley, a PhD candidate at Ludrow University in Melbourne. Her research focuses on political parties and temporary migration. Does she think that Djokovic should support refugees in Australia? Listen to our conversation. Will Djokovic's case affect Australia's immigration system and politics? The supporters of Novak Djokovic claim that his case is political, and I would say that they are somehow right. The saga is not happening in a political vacuum, and I think no matter how Djokovic enter Australia, I'm pretty sure that we would hear people reacting on this. But is this also a political problem in the sense that politics had a direct effect on the decisions that were made in relation to Djokovic's case? Is it possible to assess that? I mean, I think you have to say that politics has been involved to some degree. The extent to which it was involved in the decision by the judge, I would say no. However, from listening to some parts of the hearing, it was definitely what the lawyers were, uh, Djokovic's lawyers were sort of alluding to the fact that in the transcript, he was not given um, due process or fair process. There were claims of that they were trying to push Djokovic at some three o'clock in the morning, I think, or 3.30 in the morning um, without receiving adequate counsel, etc. But I mean, what it does is it highlights this sort of difficult position, which is a bit of a, a thread of, well, it's one rule for one group of people and another rule for another. And I think what that does is that puts um, the immigration minister, it puts Alec, Alex Hawke in a bit of a, in a position, which is why I think we've seen the minister deciding whether or not to exercise this power, which is a tremendous power. And I think it really highlights that power. But yeah, look, I think it's a difficult one because I, I would say that there is, of course, there's politics involved in everything. And I would say in this instance, there is, but it's weighing up which, what is the politics that's been involved here? Strictly speaking, do you think that all the rules were applied to Djokovic's case correctly? Or maybe there was some bending of the rules? Firstly, what I should say is that it, it highlights when we're looking at one rule for one and one rule for another, what we see with where Djokovic is at the moment is 32 refugees that have been detained in the Park Hotel, many of whom have been waiting for a court hearing for years, a total of nine years, some of them have been detained. Um, and it seems as though it's very easy for someone to get a court hearing in a matter of days, but there are others that have been waiting for years to, for their status determination. So I think that that's one that's a bit of an important one. In terms of the bending of the rules for Djokovic, I mean, look, I was under the impression that he had received this exemption from blind reviewers. 
I, the, the question now is it's less about the bending of the rules. The question is that the minister has the power to exercise whether or not Djokovic is deemed to be, you know, not in, in good character and good faith, essentially. And that's sort of what he's playing up with at the moment is the fact that Djokovic was positive uh, with COVID and then the next day went off, I believe, and did a, a photo shoot. Um, does that therefore mean that he's not, you know, that, that he's not demonstrating good character? Or it, I think it's hard to tell whether the, the independent reviewers bended the rules. I haven't seen accusations of these sort of blind panel reviewers who gave Djokovic the exemption, but I would say, yeah, it's, it's one million percent a very tricky situation and the whole world's sort of watching as well. You said something that is, in my view, very interesting and very important also. That Novak Djokovic received his court hearing in a matter of days while he was placed in the park hotel where people are waiting for years for any meaningful process. But how much we can compare his case with refugees and asylum seekers? Djokovic's only intention was to play at the Australian Open and he would leave the country then. I mean, of course they're different, right? You've got an international tennis player, number one in the world, and, and he's coming back to contest the title that he won last year. Of course they're different. I guess I would say to that is what we're looking at, though, is less about the categorization and the complexities and the difficulties. What we're looking at is the sheer capacity and the power of the minister to decide things. The same way that we're waiting on the minister to decide what's going to happen with Djokovic, he, he could use those same powers to release not just 32 refugees in Park Hotel, but there's other refugees that are there on the medical evacuations or the Medivac bill and they're around in Darwin and Brisbane, I believe, he could use that same power. And so, yes, they're different and they're different complexities. And one feeds into Australia's commitment or the Australian government's commitment to really push these really tough border policies and to deter people from um, arriving by boat, for example. But I still don't think it absolves the fact that there have been many that have been waiting for nine nine years. You know, people have been locked up since they were 14, um, which I think is, is remarkable when we look at how quick this has all been occurring. So yes, different, but I think the principle sort of still stands. Iranian refugee Mehdi Ali, who is in the same hotel where Djokovic was put, wrote on Twitter, This country, the law, the media, the people and the politicians allowed a 15-year-old to be held for no crime in a prison for almost nine years. That's why we are asking Novak Djokovic to advocate for us. Do you think that Djokovic might do this? Mehdi Ali, who is brilliant, who's been speaking so eloquently in, on Al Jazeera and it's been, you know, being reported in BBC News. What people are hoping is that it will shed some light as, as to these conditions. And I 100% think that Djokovic should most definitely in future months now and in the future use the experience that he had um, and advocate for those that are more disadvantaged um, and that have uh, been detained indefinitely. Do I think he will? I'm not sure he hasn't said anything yet. I know people, a prominent sports star, sports commentator who is a refugee advocate, Craig Foster, he's been calling on this. So there have been people in sort of the sports industry who have been calling for Djokovic to be more outspoken about what's happening, but I haven't heard anything. So yeah, potentially, maybe, but yeah, I really hope he does because I think it would be, it would be really important. There is maybe another side of this coin, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily his fault, But the fact is that in the past Djokovic said negative things about vaccines and now he became a hero for anti-vax movement and for populist far-right figures like Nigel Farage who even spent time with Serbs' family. Do you think that this is a problem and that Djokovic should somehow address this and to distance itself from such groups? 
I would say that a lot of Australians didn't know anything about Djokovic's political preferences. I mean, I think we knew that he wasn't vaccinated, but I quite liked um, Andy Murray's tweet on that, which was about Nigel Farage. And it, it was the retweet something like, "It'll be. Uh, uh, can you record the moment when you tell um, Djokovic's family that you spent the majority of your political career trying to deport people from Eastern Europe? which I thought was really interesting. And it kind of brings in all of these different questions. I think in the Australian context, because we have such a high vaccination rate across the country, I would say, obviously, it's important to distance, in my opinion, from really far right groups with quite dangerous political ideologies, 1 million percent. But the conversation here anyway, perhaps I think over in Europe a little bit more. So I think the conversation here is less around Djokovic and their sort of anti-vax movement and more around, well, why does Djokovic get to come unvaccinated when Albanians, for example, have had the longest lockdown consecutively, et cetera, in the world when Australians were doing the sort of right thing and getting vaccinated and, and locking themselves in, etc. Um, I think that's the sort of general discussion that's happening at the moment, rather than that real connection to the far right. But I can see how that's happening a lot in Europe at the moment. We do have that here. We have this really dangerous, and we've had protests um, for months around this sort of idea. And there's been lots of sort of crossings between the anti-vax movement and sort of neo-Nazis, etc. Obviously, Djokovic should distance himself from those if, if people are, t- are tying themselves onto that. But yeah, I think that maybe the, the narrative is a little bit different than it is over in Europe at the moment. Emil, I know that it might be a tough question for you, but would you let Djokovic play at the Australian Open, taking into account what we know, or would you deport him? I was thinking about that, and I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to answer your question, because I had seen some, there were some signs that were downstairs at the Park Hotel, a leftist group, and they were saying, you know, Djokovic out, refugees in. And I think that sort of narrative is quite problematic. I don't think that we should be deciding who gets to come and go. I think that's almost like we're doing the government's job. Um, and if we're wanting, you know, to not hold people indefinitely. So, yeah, I don't, to be honest, think I can answer your question. I mean, I think if what we've got is administrative processes that say if someone's received an exemption based on medical grounds, et cetera, the, the issue is we don't know what that process was. So it's very hard, I think, to make a decision about whether someone should or shouldn't be able to stay here. And I think people are potentially, rather than discussing Some of the bigger questions that this brings up, so the powers that the minister has here, these really big powers that they have, those are kind of questions we should talk about. I think sometimes we get a bit bogged down in should he stay or should he go, I think. So I, I didn't quite, that was a very fenced answer to your question because I'm still sort of thinking about it, but I, I worry sometimes when we engage with these debates about should he leave or stay, we're kind of missing the bigger picture, which is we should be having a discussion around how much power these individual ministers have to be able to make these decisions that you're asking me to make. Yeah, of course, this is a fair point, and I respect that for sure. But maybe then there is a question, if there is something you would change on how this power the minister has over people's life should be used. Should the power of the minister be changed? Look, yeah, again, I will give you a fence-sitter argument, because to some it would depend on the on the minister at the time. I think ministerial intervention at times could be you know, incredibly helpful, right? The minister has the power to grant refugee status, for example, or sorry, not to grant refugee status, to grant refugee visas if they wish to do so. But I believe the judge said in the hearing as well that this is quite concerning if the minister was to express this sort of ministerial intervention to deport Djokovic. It should be an area that we should focus on. I would say at this point in time, it's quite dangerous for someone to have uh, this much power. However, in the future, who knows? I just think we need to, to have those discussions around, you know, in what ways can this power be used 
because I just think something like Djokovic is highlighting bigger issues within the Australian immigration system, um, which I think is really important. So what is the biggest issue of the Australian immigration system? I think there are a number of issues. You know, the research that I look at specifically myself is I look at Australia's temporary migration program. So those that are not tourists, but those that are here, um, many of whom with work rights, international students, working holiday visas here for uh, what is supposed to be a limited amount of time. Their time in Australia can be eight, nine, ten years on different visas before reaching permanent residency or with no hope of reaching permanent residency. I think that can present some issues when you have millions of people paying taxes in Australia, but with no access to some of the political rights that we're afforded to, like voting. But definitely when we're looking at the situation at the moment, we've got hundreds of people across Australia on temporary protection visas and safe haven enterprise visas. So those that arrived after 2013 by boat who have been granted temporary protection visas, they are refugees. They've been declared to be refugees by the UNHCR. And what we make them do is constantly um, apply to renew their visa every three for a temporary protection visa or five for a safe haven enterprise visa every three to five years. Temporary protection is a bit of an oxymoron. So I think there are some significant issues and they've been well documented with Australia's um, treatment of refugees and people seeking asylum. Back to politics, if I may. Do you think that Djokovic saga might have an impact on upcoming elections that will take place in May at the latest and on the popularity of the Liberal Party of Prime Minister Scott Morrison? I think it's really interesting. I think people really quickly, you know, in lots of different events that I've seen sort of unfold and people will say, this will be an election issue. And I just don't think that that's really played out. In the lead up to this federal election, I think a lot of people are very um, hesitant about making very big sweeping statements, particularly because in the last federal election, it was sort of the, the unwinnable election was what it was titled. Polls were demonstrating that the Labour Party, the opposition, that Bill Shorten from the Labour Party, the support was so high that there was no way that um, Scott Morrison and the coalition would get back in, but they did. What I think this does is there's been a, a significant number of issues, missteps, political blunders. So the vaccine rollout, for example, at the moment, Australians are really, really struggling to source rapid antigen tests, even though um, this was sort of noted as a priority from various unions sort of at the end of last year. Those sorts of blunders that I think combined with this one, I think will play some role in terms of just highlighting perhaps, I guess, the, the political nature of some of the policies that have been implemented. I don't think this in and of itself as an isolated case will say determine an election or determine votes by any stretch, but I think it adds to another layer to the way that the government has handled COVID. Personally, I've been trying to, to understand whether the immigration minister delaying this decision, whether that's having an effect on whether voters are, are getting frustrated, whether they think it's the incapacity to make decision or uh, to, to make a decision, or are voters thinking, well, this is, you know, this is an indication of Australia's strong border policies, which has been an election issue in the past, border policies completely. So, yeah, I would say not a isolated election issue, but definitely people will be thinking about all of these sorts of things because the election will be very soon. But does it mean that the way how the government was handling and is handling the pandemic will be the most important issue for the voters in the upcoming elections? I think people are definitely taking it into consideration, I, at, at least in, in the minds of those who are. I mean, we've got a, a Victorian state election coming up. And I would say in our state politics, definitely, it would definitely play a factor. Um, in federal politics, I, I would say it does. Yeah, undoubtedly, this has been basically it in terms of news. Obviously, there has been other major events that have been happening, but your everyday sort of Australian, this has been the forefront of their minds for the last two years. I would say that they would be taking stock. The pandemic's not over. So I would say, yeah, I would say people, of course, they'd be 
looking um, at it, but, you know, analysts have been a bit wrong before about this sort of stuff. So, so who knows? But I think so. By the way, are you a tennis fan? Are you going to watch Australian Open? I actually, yeah, I love the tennis. I love the tennis. I was giving some sort of half answers about the Djokovic thing, but I really do think it's because it created this really odd discussion. But I love tennis and I'm actually, I was a bit, I was saying this morning that I'm going to be a bit, I wonder what's going to happen when Djokovic goes out on the court. That would absolutely create a very heated atmosphere. I'm pretty sure about this. And I said, you know, I was speaking to to a friend and I, because I remember when, it, you know, right at the beginning when this sort of started and I think it was Djokovic's dad said that people will go out on the streets. And I genuinely, I thought to myself, I thought, oh, really? Is that going, is that going to happen? And then just obviously completely wrong, I was. But yeah, I wonder because, and this is anecdotal, my reading of the sort of current climate is that people are not pleased with the fact that he's able to play. That's my reading of the general sort of climate. And I also think it's because, you know, we've had such a, in Melbourne anyway, and this is, can I think, can vary in state to state, but we've had such a long period of lockdowns. Yeah, I mean, last year and the year before. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to be watching it probably at home. I think they announced some some more rules in terms of capacity for the tennis. So it might be a little bit harder to, to get tickets, but I'll definitely be watching. But yeah, I'm I'm very curious to know what the reaction on the court's going to be because my understanding was that he was really popular in, in Australia, particularly in the Australian Open. He was always very funny and entertaining. And, and I think people liked the kind of joker. Do we have a favorite tennis player we are going to root for? I always loved Andy Murray. Yeah, I always loved Andy Murray, but I just have to say Ash Barty because she's phenomenal, amazing, and Australian, and a force, and yeah. So, of course, Ash Barty all the way. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the other platforms. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned.